Welcome in. It is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. Welcome back this week to my man David Simone. Thank you for kindly stepping aside and allowing for the return of Justin Berg a week ago. Yeah, I went on a two-week Mormon mission, so I'm glad to be be back. Well, we had the emergency pod, so you were were on two weeks ago. And then, and then, just, yeah. and then Justin Williams, and then Justin Berg. It was a Justin takeover of the Holy yeah. Grail BCJ podcast. All right, here's the deal, Dave. Not for you, but for everybody else, Bearcat Journal members. If you would like the opportunity to win a free pair of season tickets for the 2020 football season, I'm gonna need you at the Holy Grail. On Sunday at 1 o'clock as the Bearcats travel to Houston to take on the Cougars. Our fine friends at the Holy Grail as a sign of respect and a thank you to Luke Fickle for staying in Cincinnati. They have decided to buy a pair of season tickets and give them away on Sunday to someone that will be attending the watch party as the Bearcats take on the Houston Cougars. That, my friends, is a big deal. That's big time, Dave. Heck yeah. Who else is doing that on the, on the 24-7 network? Where else, you, where else in Cincinnati can you go watch UC play Houston in a huge game with conference title implications and while you're there, potentially win yourself a pair of season tickets to watch the Bearcats. It doesn't get any better than that. That's big time. Big time, big time. So that's the Holy Grail plug for this week. Like, I don't have to tell you about the food. I don't have to tell you about the bucket specials that they run during Bearcats games. I don't have to tell you about nothing. All I got to tell you is they wanted to make it special, and they're making it special by saying thank you to Luke Fickle and giving away a pair of season tickets to the 2020 season. So we'll see you there. If that's not an incentive to show up, I don't know what is. Not you, Dave. I agree. Well, there's no chance I'll be there. So. You're ineligible to win anyway. Right, right. As the host of this podcast, you are disqualified from winning the prize. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We will start with basketball a lot of basketball to talk about we'll recap the Bearcats victory over Wichita State on Sunday we'll take a look into the two game two game road trip Sunday against Houston and then a very tricky 48 hour turnaround to Tampa to take on USF that's not going to be that's neither that's going to be a very difficult trip and it's going to be a season defining trip so, a lot to talk about that there. And then, Dave, did you know we are a week and a half away from the start of spring football? I did, because you told me like 20 minutes ago, 10 minutes ago when it started. So, I do know that. Spring football starts on senior day for basketball. That morning, there will be spring football. That night, there will be senior day for this group of Bearcats as they get set to take on Temple. So... 
We have a ton of content in the works, previewing and getting ready for spring football. And then coverage as we get towards the end. I get to the end, not even towards now. Get to the end of basketball season. So it's a lot. We got a lot going on. And then this is going to be a very busy uh, spring football for recruiting, I think, as well. So, and and basketball coaches are actually out on the road. We've got information on that on the Bearcat Journal message board. Jason G., John Brandon, Sean Dwyer, all out on the road checking out targets on this Wednesday night. So, a lot going on. That's why you're proud and happy members of the Bearcat Journal community. Because we've got a lot going on at all times. All right, Dave. They, 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 they backed themselves into a corner once again. They fought their way out of said corner once again. As they hold on to beat Wichita State. The Bearcats hold on to beat Wichita State by three on Sunday. It's never easy, Mr. Simone, with this team. It is never, ever easy. Not not this year. It's not. And especially in, uh, in February, it's not. It hasn't been easy. I think I... I think my numbers are correct. I was kind of looking at things the other day, and they're five and two in February, with a uh, point differential total of plus twelve. Yeah, well, seven seven games. Four of them went to overtime. The other three were basically decided in the final seconds. Right. So it has been a heart attack waiting to happen. If you're a UC basketball fan. But, I mean, one thing you have to say, it has most definitely been entertaining, my friend. Sure. I mean, if you're, if you like, you know, close games and and drama at the end, (laughs) since the clock is, or since the calendar is flipped to 2020, that's pretty much all we've had, so... Well, it, it, there, there were some blowouts at the beginning of conference play at home. But those were so long ago, they don't they don't feel like they actually happened. It feels like this entire yeah. 15 games that have been played in the American Conference have been decided in the final minute. Like, it, it really feels like all 15 have. I mean, they, they beat UConn by 15 or 16 the first game. Yeah. Lost to Tulane. Boat race and then Tulsa. beat Tulsa by, then beat Tulsa by thirty-one, and I feel like since that point, every game has been <laughs> relatively close. Any takeaways from the Wichita State game? I mean, it, it, one of those days where Jaron didn't have his uh, his game from the floor working, but he gets he gets sixteen of twenty-two from the free throw line, and, and really the story of that game was uh, the bench. Stepping up, uh, Zach Harvey, and uh, a, a, a made basket by Chris McNeil, which yeah, I didn't know that we were going to see that again uh, for the remainder of the season. Um, maybe that you know gives him a little boost, and 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 he can provide a little bit of a spark off the bench. But um, Mamadou Diara getting suckered into a three from the home crowd, <laughs> yeah. 
That was fantastic. And he made it, of course. Um, but ultimately, that was a game. I mean, you look at it. Keith Williams didn't score. Chris Vogt had two. Trey Scott, after one of the most absurd stretches in, in uh, absurd three-week stretches in UC history, uh, scores eight, seven of those in the first half, five of those in the first segment. And somehow this team manages to win against a Wichita State team that, that, let's face it, Dave, that Wichita State team was just as desperate as Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we can get into tournament stuff and bubble stuff, but, yeah, I mean, their resume from a win standpoint is really, really lacking. So, uh, yeah, they needed that one, I feel like, not maybe not as much, but just as much. Um, as UC did, just because kind of where UC was coming off of the UCF game, but I kind of had three three main takeaways. You mentioned the bench, twenty six bench points. Obviously, you know, made up for a couple starters having subpar games, and and you, I don't think we can really expect duplications of that, but then, you know, at the same time, I don't really expect vote and Keith Williams to have, have those type of games again in the same game. Right. But there does need to be a leveling off of, you can't get 26, one game in, you know, what was it the other night? Two, yeah. four, zero. So, I mean, it, it obviously it was the to me it was the deciding factor, but there's got to be a little bit more averaging out. Um, I mean, I guess it's tough to talk about that when you're three games left in the regular season. It kind of is what it is, but you know it was just good to see that it happened because there's no way they win that game without no, that type of production. Not. No chance. Uh, the other thing I I've liked, especially in the first half, was going to the zone twice. I think it changed the dynamic and the momentum of the game both times in the first half. Because really, I mean, if you look at that half in, in a vacuum or just looking at the box score, there's no reason UC should have been at three. Right. And it was, to- I felt like it was totally because of the zone. Um, and they did go to it, I think, only once, and it might have been out of a timeout, and Marshall was ready for it in the second half. But I still think they do, I still think they need to use it more because I just don't think, I don't. I know we know, we know John is a man to man coach, but it's become apparent that this roster and the guys that he's got to count on are not man-to-man players for 40 minutes in a game. And they're just going to have to try to throw, I don't want to say junk, but they're going to have to mix it up, whether it's with the press, the one, three, one, they're just not good enough in pick and roll in high ball screens. There's not enough pure athleticism, you know, one through five, to just sit in man for 40 minutes. I kind of, um, I kind of disagree. Know. I mean, I, I, I like, okay. I, I like 
that one three one for for how they used it in that game in terms of like two or three possessions a little bit here maybe a tiny little bit there but they're equally like if you go back and watch their zone possessions they're really bad in zone two and that's they no went I to, know but they went no, to it in the second half like it... and the first play like Greg Marshall was ready for it in the second half yeah. If they would have went back to it again in the second half, they would have got roasted. So, I mean, I get kind of what you're saying. I, I, I just, from what I've seen when they have gone to the zone, they, they are not good at it either. So, I do like it in, like, little surprise, you know, maybe coming out of a timeout. You you pop it on for a possession or two or three and and hope it get like it did in that game in the first half. You hope that it gives you a little bit of, of spark in like a, a surprise element. But the more you start going to it, the less it becomes a surprise and teams are just waiting for you to use it. And then they run one or two set plays that eat it up and you've given up six points in two possessions. So I, I get just, where you're coming from. No, and from. I agree. They're just bad but at it. It. it can't, it's not like a, not even close to a 50, 50 split, but like I, I, you know, I don't want to rehash, you know, old wounds or whatever, but like the UCF game, would it have killed him to try it for two or three possessions? Because in the session in the second half, it was just a parade to the basket on pick and roll. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, the first half of the Wichita game, I thought it was used perfectly. I'm, you know, I'm not saying get in it for even a whole segment. I, th- no. I think the concern with UCF is you go to that one three one, and they've got a, a a pretty high end shooter waiting in the wing, waiting on the wing, and Colin Smith is a a pretty bad matchup problem when you're if you're trying to play that zone. Um, I mean, I think he, I think you would they're a thirty three percent three point shooting team on the year, but they have one guy that's high end. Where if I, if you move him, you put him in the corner, you move the ball twice, and all of a sudden you're taking wide open. I mean, that's been the problem, especially with that one three one. Once you get it moving a little bit, it gives up pretty wide open jump shots. Like, and and if you've got even in that situation, if you got one guy that can knock him down, your team can be bad, but that one guy can kill you. So I I well, kind of get and, and I and look. They were making wide-open layups. Yeah. Maybe it does change the momentum of that game. I just thought in that game, like, I didn't like the matchup in that game to go to it. Now, it it proved, you know, futile because they did. And I think a lot of that was fatigue. I mean, I I called it out three minutes into that game that their, their foot speed, the foot speed of the guards defending the pick and roll was atrocious. And that's that's yeah. where Chris well, Boat I mean, got exposed because the guards weren't getting through the screen to recover and allow Vote, you know, to hedge and re- and return. Vote all of a sudden because the guards were terrible in in getting over the screen or getting through the screen and that left Vote on an island and that's what they attacked. Uh and I don't think that's Vote's fault. I think that's the guards' no, fault. It, it, Everybody was culpable in that game. Yeah. I mean, for as, as great as Trey played, 
a couple times I'm watching going, what is he pressing up on Mayhem for? He's not going to shoot. Right. And he dribbled right by him for layups. One at the at the very end that was right after I think we had scored. I don't remember if it was regulation, first overtime, second overtime. You know, don't remember. But, like, you're just like, at the very end of the game, you're going, what are you doing? Like, he's not going to shoot it. Why are you? And he went right by him. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a team effort. They were all bad. There, there's no mistake about so that. That and that was kind of my reasoning behind it was it wasn't so much as like oh this is going to be necessarily better, but like it was so bad, especially in the second half. I'm like, well maybe two or three possessions. If you get two or three stops there, they weren't stopping us. So maybe you could get a little bit of separation, then go back to you know back to man, and you you burned two or three minutes. And now you maybe have more control over the game. Yeah. I, I I just think I just think like especially with Houston. Can they play man that whole game? With Jarrell and those guys up front? I mean it's gonna depend on how well Colin Sasser is lighting it up from outside, which has become a huge concern. Um and he's kind of playing some of those minutes at point guard instead of Jarrell. So he's so I don't know why I think about this. Every time I hear his name, his name is Marcus Sasser. I automatically think Mackie Sasser, and I don't even like baseball. It's total sidebar thing. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just that's my concern with with them is, I mean, the tape is out, and they do that anyway. They plant hitting in the corner and you know the run high ball screen if you help kick out I mean I just I don't know it's everybody's gonna do it and I feel like it's not necessarily even a secondary defense to me it's more of just it makes the team slow down a little bit at least for a, a second or two recognize and then get into something else and maybe you know, cause, yeah, like you said, it's not great either. I mean, Wichita missed several open shots when right. when they were in it. But you know, I guess my if we're if we're that tired and we're struggling that much defending the pick and roll and the high ball screen, do you just cast your lot and say, okay, we're going to run this for a few minutes and hope they don't hit any threes instead of, you know, having to deal with stuff at the basket, fouls, and, and giving up stuff that we've been giving up regardless. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's it's tough to say because if you look at the numbers, throughout the season, this has been a really good man-to-man team. Now, that hasn't been the case over the last couple weeks, uh, and I do think, like I said, I think a lot of that is fatigue-related, especially the guards, because I just don't see them moving laterally as well as they have. Um, that's Jaron, that's Keith. Uh, I think the one guy that, that has been pretty good at it, even though I, I thought he was bad against UCF, is Micah. Um, it's going to be interesting to me to see with this week off, are they rejuvenated defensively? Like, are they moving better, and, and is there a pep back in their step to get them back to playing the level of man defense that they were playing, you know, a couple weeks ago? 
Um, so that's what, that's, that's what's going to be interesting to me coming out of this week off is, is physically does it help, help get them back on track because up until, and, and it's funny, it's funny what a loss and especially a loss like UCF will do because all of a sudden they were right back. Uh, they had a pep in their step again against Wichita state. Now, Wichita state is not a, not a fantastic offensive team. Um, and if Stevens isn't hitting threes, offense becomes rather difficult for them. And, and clearly he was, he was what, one of eight, one of nine, something like that. Um, but I, I'm interested to see if this, this, this week break, not only gets guys back closer to a hundred percent health, but allows guys to, to put a pep in their step, um, when they're defending and, and to get back to being, capable of, of playing that man-to-man defense. That's what that's what I'll be watching for against Houston. Uh, I hope so, because, I mean, as much as, you know, it's an uphill battle to go in there and win, I mean, if they find a way to do it, that's like a season, that's, you know, kind of your season-defining moment. So I would hope after a week off that they look at this as, an opportunity to, I wouldn't say, I mean, for all per- intent and purposes, a win there would pretty much lock up the league. I mean, they'd have to lose the next two. And so you'd win the league outright. You'd be the number one seed. You would have beaten them twice. You, I mean, you'd obviously. you them in Wichita. Right. You're adding a Q1 win and all of that stuff that goes along with it. But I don't think those guys look at it that way. They're looking at it as beating them again and winning the league when, you know, everybody, you know, preseason was talking about how, you know, they lost too much and they weren't, you know, with the transition year and everything. I mean, I think that would say a lot about everybody involved if they are able to figure that out. Now, for being honest, it's going to be, very, very difficult. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, they... But this Houston team you know, is not Houston with Corey Davis and Armani Brooks and Rob Gray. And, and they have shown to be, at times, vulnerable because they don't have that that extra gear. We've talked about this with them all year. They just don't have that extra gear that they've had in the past. Right. I mean, that was my biggest question when the season started and everyone was anointing them nationally that oh you know easy conference you know winners and whatnot and i just looked at it as yeah they've they brought a lot back but it's kind of like that year i forget which year it was for us when we brought a lot back but everyone was taking major major jumps in their responsibilities and you know expectations and who is who was going to be that guy that in a close game and I think you kind of saw it against UC the first time when they started struggling and had some turnovers and missed shots there was nobody to go grab the ball and and be like a like a Jaron I'm either going to score or I'm going to get fouled to at least you know stem the tide a little bit like I don't know who that person is for them it's, they, I think they want it to be 
Caleb Mills based on his shot attempts, but um, he clearly wasn't that against UC, and they've lost some close games. He's their leading scorer. Right. He takes a lot of shots, that's for sure. Let's take a look, Dave, at in-conference play. They they lost two home games in the out-of-conference, really their toughest two games. Uh, Oklahoma State beat them 61-55. Their toughest two home games out of conference. And then they lost to BYU 72-71. In conference, they beat UCF 78-63. They beat SMU 71-62. So, kind of close. Four-point win over UConn 63-59. Dump trucked USF. Beat up Tulane pretty bad. Blow, blow, I mean, that Wichita State game was shocking at the Fertitta Center. 76-43, yikes. Um, and then they just blew out Tulsa. So they've been hot lately, uh, especially at home. But you can see, I mean, UConn was very close. Um, there, there have been opportunities for teams to play with them at home. And then... I mean, they don't have an easy finish. They've got Cincinnati at UConn, Memphis at home, the final three games of the season. And we've seen, while UConn is not good, they've been a pain in stores. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Anybody that's played, I think anybody that plays pretty good defense, and we'll, that's kind of why we were touching on it earlier, has given Houston problems just because I think they can get bogged down Because they don't know necessarily who to go to when when things get close. And that's where Sasser concerns me because he is heated up of late. And and giving them a guy that they can they can at least look to and rely on uh, when Mills' shot isn't falling. Which, I mean, with as bad as Mills shot it against UC, you've got to think at home he's going to have a better game, don't you? Well, yeah, and I would also not anticipate Dijon Jura biting someone again. Fair. Although, <laughs> maybe you get Mamadou to put, like, some maple syrup on his thigh. <laughs> some whipped cream. Jura thinks it's a pancake. Takes another chomp. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere near this. <laughs> All right. You got a prediction? How do you think they do? You think they get out of there? With the I mean, I, I can't see, I can't say that. I mean, I think, can they? Sure. This whole season and this whole conference has been a psycho, but I, I just don't see it. I mean, it took basically not a complete drought, but a, about a 13 and a half minute scoring drought for us to to pull out the first one and there were obviously some extenuating circumstances there that you would expect not to happen again so i think at home you know it's you know conference champ regular season conference title on the line I, i think they'll just be they'll be too tough you know what i think i've I've started to talk myself into a win. 
Well, I mean, there's no downside for you to say that, so go well, for it. <laughs> if you look, they're very young. I mean, what? Chris Harris Jr. is their, their oldest guy, redshirt senior. But he's a JUCO guy, so it's not like he's, you know, been five years into the wars in this conference. Jerome Redshirt Jr., Gresham Redshirt Jr., Fabian White Jr., but I mean, Quentin Grimes is a sophomore, Nate Hinton is a sophomore, Caleb Mills is a freshman. Quentin Grimes, who knows what you're going to get out of him. I mean, he's upset he's not playing more. Sasser is a freshman. I just... Your bench rarely travels on the road, especially one that outside of Javen is all freshmen at McNeil. But, I mean, he's he's getting spot minutes. Um, your main bench guys are young. They, that rarely travels in conference. I mean, what? it's just – I think it's, it's a hard ask. I, I think it's a hard ask, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Jaron and Trey win this game and put themselves in position to win the AAC. Oh, that would be nice. That's I I think experience I'd, I'd in, like in to, these situation matters. Oh, for hundred percent it matters. <laughs> I think they <clears throat> I, I think they pull out. A, I think they sneak out a close one. Oh, we know it's gonna. Be, if they're gonna win, you know it's gonna be close. I mean, every every game is close. Yeah. I don't know. I think I talked myself into it as we've been doing this podcast. I have been of the belief that I I, I thought this one was going to be near impossible. But the more I've talked it out, I think I've talked myself into, I'll go Bearcats 64, Houston 62. Did we win there two years ago? Yeah, I think so. Not last year, obviously. No, not last year. And then two years ago, didn't they play in Texas Southern's gym or something? We didn't win that game. I, I remember that. Yeah, that was the year that the Furtada, the Egg Center, was um, getting redone. Yeah, and I think there was some surprise, surprise, sketchy officiating or, or something. I remember Gary no, getting like Houston, hammered all the Houston, time. Houston at the H and P E Arena. Houston won that game, sixty-seven, sixty-two. Yeah. So it's been it's been a little while since we've gotten one down there. 16, 17, maybe. Yeah, they won 16, 17, uh, 67, 58 down there at the Hofheinz Pavilion. Yeah. And then came back and. Which is the same thing as the the Egg Frittata Center, just with. They got new lights now. Yeah. They, they, They spent $40 million renovating the lights. And still get exactly four, and still and still get four thousand people there a game. Um, all right, let's let. But anyway, let, let's the tournament stuff. Look, we can talk about it till we're blue in the face. I think we've covered it every way from Sunday. 
They got to win. win. Just, yeah. They just need to keep winning. Go two and one over these last three games. I think you're in a pretty good shape just to feel good. Win that first game of the conference tournament on Friday, um, and you're 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 in the tournament. That's my belief. Yeah. Go one and two. I mean, the only you're in trouble. Yeah. The only thing I'll I'll kind of say on it is then we can talk Q ones and Q three losses, and if they don't do anything dumb the rest of the way. When you're looking at bubble teams, which is what they'll be regardless, I have a hard time seeing many other bubble teams who have played as few Q4 games as they have and whose non-conference strength of schedule is as good as them. So if they don't do anything dumb and then don't make it, my question is, what's the point in scheduling up in the non-conference? Because then it's just another counting mechanism that these schools accumulated this many wins or like the Big Ten is now at 20 league games and they're benefiting from that because they're even though they're beating each other, they're just adding Q1 and Q2 wins. Even though those teams have 14, 15 losses, they're still considered you know, a good win, which is a joke, but if your non-conference schedule is that good and you can't make it, then what's the point? Right. I mean, the only thing I'll say to and that not, is and, they did go 7-5 and 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 in the non-conference. But they're, but I'm talking about when you're comparing bubble teams. Like, yeah, but they went 7-5 another... and five in the non-conference. Right, and... but some, another bubble team that went – Nine and three, and played the two hundred and fiftieth non-conference schedule. Is that any better? Right, I get you. Like, do you want like that? Doesn't tell me like. <clears throat> that's my whole point. Is if you have a top twenty-five non-conference schedule, yeah, they struggled, but like every bubble team has proven that they can lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. That's why they're on the bubble. Yeah. All right. Win it. Just keep winning. Exactly. We've been saying that for the last month. Yeah. <laughs> just keep winning. Everything else will take care of itself. Other teams will lose. I got suckered. I'm not happy. I got suckered, Dave. Who suckered you? Moegger. Into what? Who do you think is hosting his show the Thursday and Friday of the NCAA tournament? <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> Three to six. First two days of the NCAA tournament. I'll uh, I'll be in the studio for Mo. You know UC is going to make it and have like the Thursday 2.30 game. Yeah, then they're going to have to probably find somebody else and they'll have to understand that like business is business. Right. Like, love you guys. And I, I, I've, I've, I've gone in every time they've asked, every time they've asked me to come in, I've gone in, but being on the air and missing a, a UC tournament game that I have to cover and write about and talk about, like, we're going to have to figure out a way around that. You're going to, you're going to get Rick Uchino on the air that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we get to football, a reminder, 
that our very own Justin Berg feeds his family with his landscaping business. It's called Leah's Landscaping, L-I-A-S, Leah's. They do everything from mulch to retaining walls. Contact Berg with a private message on Bearcat Journal or at the Leah's Landscaping Facebook page. Bearcat fans, you get preferential treatment. Xavier fans, you're probably going to get charged double. Leah's Landscaping, hit up our man Berg, either on Facebook or send him a direct message here on Bearcat Journal, and uh, he will get you taken care of. Everything from mulch to retaining walls. Are you in need of a retaining wall, David? No, unless you can put in a putting green in my backyard. No, I do not need any retaining walls. I bet he could put in a putting green in your backyard. (laughs) I bet we could arrange that. Berg, if you're listening, Dave wants to price out a putting green in his backyard. And he doesn't want to have to talk to his wife about it. (laughs) So she already knows. She just said it can't take up the entire backyard. I mean, it's a putting. Like, how big of a green do you want? I mean, I got to be able to make a couple 20 footers. (laughs) How big's your backyard? 25 feet? Pretty much. <laughs> oh, Berg might have his work cut out for him on this one. But if anybody can do it, it's our man Berg and Leah's landscaping. Hit him up. Spring is right around the corner, even though it's snowing out today. Spring is right around the corner. And uh, Berg will help you out. So, yeah, I remember when I told you as we moved to football, remember when I told you, like, the the, the March 7th is uh, is the start of spring football and senior day? Yeah, I yeah, do. That, that, that's, that's big trouble for the guy on the microphone here in this podcast. Just so happens to be my wife's birthday. Oh, man, you are – you're going to be taking her out to a very nice dinner some night other than March 7th. Yeah, yeah. She's already got plans of where we're going out on that that Saturday night. And, it like, it hadn't even, like, the date, the actual date doesn't really sit in my brain as we're going through seasons. Like, it's just Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday. Like, it doesn't click on what day everything actually is. And then she saw my schedule and she was like, the seventh. I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. I was like, not only am I going to be busy that morning, I'm busy until like midnight or later that night. You're going to kill me. But luckily, a lo- lovely selection of, of concession food at the basketball game yeah. she could have. Luckily, she's a saint and she's just like, oh well, I'm still going out. I'll see you when I get home. Yeah. Okay. She's going out with her cousin and some friends, and she's going to have her own birthday celebration without me. She wasn't even mad. (laughs) Or at least on the surface, she didn't say she was mad. Oh, no. Why would she be mad? She knows she's going to go out with them, and then she's also going to get a nice, I'm sorry, birthday from you. So what's there to be mad about? She is kind of, she's hitting it from both angles. Um, (laughs) We are going to have a bunch of spring football coverage. Uh, I'm going to do a, Dave has sent me five questions. I'm going to answer those five, the, the five most uh, wondered about questions 
as determined by Dave. And then I think there's only four. I think there's only four actually. I asked for five. Well, I under deliver and what's that saying go? You over promise and under deliver. You're supposed to under promise and over deliver. Spring football. Every question could be answered with I don't know. We'll see when they get into spring football. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess we're gonna have the top four unanswered questions. Uh, as we get into Every, spring. Anybody can do a top five. Can you do a top four, though? That's the question. Apparently, I can. I don't have a choice. Yeah. That's all you sent me. Maybe I'll come up with one of my own, and I'll have four of Dave's questions and one of mine. Um, yeah. We will have that coming up uh, as we head into March 7th, and then Brent Young is going to be going position by position, uh, giving you a, a little look at where things are at. And what to maybe expect. Um, without giving away those four questions and, and ruining the article. Um, I mean, I think obviously this team that's, needs to get better offensively. I don't know how much of that we're really going to see. Um, some of it, obviously. But I don't know how much we're going to see in the spring. Because the, the, the major overhaul of the wide receiver room doesn't really happen until the summer. So we'll be looking at Daz Ritter. We'll be looking at Ben Bryant. But who they're throwing to is going to be a bit limited. Um, I I do think it'll be an opportunity. uh, If Blue Smith is going to make a move, now is the time for him to make a move because that door is wide open right now. Um, But offensively, I mean, it's going to come down to Get the offensive line. I think you've got an opportunity to get your offensive line situation settled very early this year. Where it was in flux for a ton of time last year. Some of that was injury related. Some of it was Hudson going out. Um, But I think this year you can give yourself a pretty good estimation of what you're going to look like on the offensive line for a large portion of the season. Like Start to really develop offensive line depth. And then find out, you know, is Des Ritter ready to take the next step in the passing game? Or is it time going into the summer to say this door is wide open for Ben Bryant? I think those are, offensively, those are the things you're looking at, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the spring is the, the time when you try stuff out. So it's hard to come to definitive answers based off of the spring but I, you know i'm interested to just see just in general like you know how does how does des look how does ben look is it super close is, is one better and, and like you said the receiver situation obviously plays a part into that you know um you're breaking in these guys like blue you know i'm interested to see garen prater um, in the spring, and just how does that work? How does uh, the offensive line kind of shuffle out? Jerome Ford, looking forward to seeing seeing that. And then I think, you know, defensively, linebacker obviously is the most in flux position. I'm sure we'll see guys tried there that we're not we're not necessarily expecting. 
different guys running with the ones and the twos, you know, each day could be something different. Again, probably nothing definitive, but at least it'll give them an idea going into the summer where we need to, you know, spend more time with certain guys that you want to, you want to hear what I'm, uh, as I've been gathering information to get ready for spring, what I'm hearing in terms of linebacker, would you like that on this podcast? Or is that one of your questions? I would love it. No, it, I, my questions were not that specific. Okay. And like not asking about a specific position group in itself. So yes, I would love to hear it. Middle linebacker, I think you're going to see Joel DeBlanco and Wilson Huber in a pretty big battle. Makes sense. I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. The weak side linebacker spot, I think we're going to see Darian Beavers move there. And if I'm guessing who would be number two, I think going into spring, it's going to be Brody Ingle that's number two at that weak side linebacker spot. And then at the sniper spot, Jarrell White, Ty Van Fossen, and my sleeper at linebacker, Dorian Holloway. And I also wouldn't be surprised if they tinker a little bit with Stephen Hawthorne and see maybe, is he, does he have some Brian Wright in him? Can he go outside rush end to middle linebacker? Maybe. Um, but I, I, I think you'll see a little experimentation with him. Um, but I think that's, that's the look you're going to get at, at linebacker going into the spring. Um, there are a couple throughout the roster, as is always the case, there are a couple guys that are coming off of, you know, postseason cleanups, little surgeries. I don't, nothing I know of is major. Um, I think there's a couple of those on the defensive line. Uh, one being Michael Pitts that, that we talked about that missed the bowl practices to get his shoulder cleaned out. Um, I don't think there's any point in running him out there and risking him. Uh, during the spring. So probably, like a lot of guys, I think, you know, probably a guy you'll see in, in position drills, uh, but not live. I think that'll be the same for James Wiggins. Um, Jared Dokes had his shoulder cleaned out, so we probably won't see him do anything live. But from my understanding, he will be pretty much okay to do all the the positioning stuff. I think I got the hiccups. Um, and then Charles McClellan will be limited. Um, one name I'm really going to be interested in because I think they've really only got one other guy like him on the roster. (coughs) I'm interested to see in the development of Eric Phillips this spring. That's my, that's my sleeper name for the spring. (coughs) He caught my eye quite a bit in the bowl practices when they were, you know, there's, there's, when they're mixing the young guys in a little bit more and, and giving guys a little bit more sure. rest those first couple weeks. That's one guy that really stood out to me in terms of it was his first time really being grouped with like the older guys. And I thought he held his own and there were a couple times like he was making plays. So if I had to pick one guy on defense to keep an eye on, it's going to be Eric Phillips. If I, if I'm predicting a breakout star on offense, I'm going to go with Leonard Taylor. Yeah, I can see that. I'm interested to see 
Brian Cook defensively, you know, how where does he line up? How versatile can he be? Can he be like a Malik Clements? You know, move down closer to the line, but also you know play some some safety if need be. Um, interested to see that and tight end is is kind of a you know because all those guys are back, but without Josiah, someone's going to have to step up and and fill that void. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that is how those targets are deployed because you kind of have in what I would consider your two main guys probably to fill that would be, you know, I think Bruno Bruno will get, yeah. But I think you have, then you have Leonard and Wiley. So how does that kind of all get, get figured out? Yeah. I mean, hopefully Josh went to see a witch doctor. To kind of break this curse of injuries that's just kind of followed him around. And he had a weird one for bowl practices that kept him out. I'm not sure what his status is going into the spring. Um, but I, I'm telling you, man, I, I think Leonard is, is that type of guy. He's got excellent hands. He runs good routes. He's faster than you think. And as uh, Chris Ferguson called him over last summer, he said the kid's a biscuit short of playing tackle. Um. <laughs> He can he can block in line. He's got the size, so you know it's going to be really inter- interesting um, to see how tight end plays out. It, wide receiver, I think there's definitely going to be some some positioning, and 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 if you're anybody in that room that's going to be here next year, like you better have a good spring, right? Because the cavalry's coming. Yeah, like if 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 we're at practice and. We're watching and and no, no one's really standing out. That doesn't it doesn't bode well <laughs> for when all these other guys show up. I mean, and you're talking, you got two out, two really talented outside guys coming, two really talented slot guys coming, and a guy that can do both. In Marquez Bell. So, I mean, you better have if, if your name's not Alec Pierce. And you play wide receiver, you better be ready to have a big spring. Because if you don't, that door is wide open in June when those guys walk in the door. Yeah. So that's going to be fascinating. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really interesting spring. Agreed? Oh, I agree. I'm, yeah, I, for sure. Because I, I, you know, and I'm interested to talk, you know, you do all you do the talking with with coach and the coaches, but I'm kind of interested to get an idea from everyone we talk to that it's been here the last two seasons. Kind of what each coach's thoughts are on. Okay, we've how do you, how does your position group, or if it's like Denbrock or Freeman, how does the offense or defense go from good to great how do we go because i think that's and coach fickle has touched on it it's way 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 harder to go from 11 wins to 12 or more wins than it is to go from four wins to 11 wins right 
So I'm interested to hear just, you know, it could be positionally, it could be team-wise, it could be something off the field. That's kind of like, you know, we get a little bit more relaxed atmosphere in the spring. You know, they're coming over, they're talking to us, we're doing interviews after practice. So it's just kind of that time where we can, you know, kind of ask those questions and be like, for you, for you in particular, for the team, what do you, you know, that's kind of the big picture thing I'm looking to, to find out. Cause I mean, we could talk about the offense needing to be more dynamic and, and that might be the go-to answer, but you know, that in and of itself isn't going to necessarily, you know, do answer that question. I, I don't think. Right. Um, it's also going to be interesting. This is really, I mean, they're replacing three pretty critical leaders, four pretty critical leaders in that locker room. Oh, yeah. Perry Young, Brian Wright, Mike Warren, Josiah DeGuara. You could add Chris Ferguson into that as Ferg, well. Yeah. Um, Morgan James. Morgan James. Morgan was, was, was more quiet, but he was always a rock. You know, you knew over the last two with- years. With his offensive line group, though, yeah. I would think that he... Absolutely. No question. So you are definitely going to be under the gun a little bit in finding those guys to step up and fill that roles because, I mean, Perry Young was about as an emotional leader as you can get. Brian Wright, you talk about emotion. That guy wore his heart on his sleeve, good and bad for the last three years. So, you know, it, it, it's going to, and, and Mike Warren was the heartbeat of this team. Like make no mistake about that on the field, off the field. They got a lot of their energy. They got a lot of their day to day, uh, juice behind the scenes from Mike Warren. So that's going to be interesting in the spring as well to see who step, who, who starts to evolve into those roles and, and who becomes the heartbeat of this team. Because the, what they lost in terms of that this year is, is significant. Not only those guys were great players, but they were even more important in the locker room. So I think that's going to be very important to keep an eye on. Oh yeah. And I, I think that kind of goes into what I said. I mean, that's a big part of taking that next step. Yeah. Is for finding sure. those guys. And cause you can have, I mean, we, there's no question they're talented and they might be more talented than last year, even with some of the guys they lost, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be better. And you're going to have to go on the road to beat UCF. You're going to have to go on the road to beat Temple. You have to figure out a way to beat Memphis at home. You have to go to Nebraska in a big game. So there are definitely challenges awaiting and we will be there for spring practice for every spring practice. Every spring practice they allow us at. Let's say that. I don't know how that's going to be. Right. <laughs> My guess is that generally the spring has been, all of them have been open. But uh, you never know. All right, man. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. I don't have anything else either. Other than. The fun never ends. It feels like football just ended and basketball's almost over and now we're getting right back into football. So, And then we'll go through spring practice and as soon as spring practice is over, I'll be out on the road at AAU events. 
and getting ready for a uh, an important 2021 class for John Brandon and the UC Bearcats. So it never stops here at Bearcat Journal, including your chance to win a pair of 2020 season tickets for the football team. If and only if the only way you can you can be eligible, the only way you can win this pair of tickets, season tickets, is to meet us at the Holy Grail Sunday, 1 o'clock. Watch UC take on Houston. I'm predicting a win. I think experience and veteran leadership pulls it out. And the Bearcats put themselves in the driver's seat with essentially a two-game lead with two games to go. That would be the ideal situation. The only thing not ideal about that is that noon game to start the conference tournament on Friday. I hate that. I hate that that's what the one seed gets. But such is life, I suppose. The, the, uh, you say ideal situation in this basketball season. Uh, yeah. I don't think There's no such thing as an <laughs> ideal situation. You're correct there. All right, man, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining me as well. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm you, glad you were, to be back. You were worried I was going to, like, replace you. That, that, you, that you were on your yeah. way out at Bearcat Journal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the out. <laughs> no, you're fine. Just like to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> but he's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next week. Hopefully talking about a Bearcats team looking to clinch the AAC title on senior day against Houston. We'll see you next time. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.